0: Feisty, fearless, and fair. She's an Emmy winning journalist from the White House to War Zones, telling all sides of the story. This is The Rita Cosby Show. And tonight, I have
1: just I one question. Where is Uvalde Police Chief Pete Arradondo? Because he is MIA, and now we are learning that Uvalde, Texas Police, of course, that's the scene of that horrible mass shooting at the elementary school. Now they're not cooperating with investigators. What the heck does that mean? How dare you not cooperate with investigators? In the last few days, they have started the funeral services that are going to go into much of the month of June because there are so many funerals. These families deserve answers. And the guy who is, quote, the commander at the time, this Pete Arredondo, who is with the Uvalde School District, who was the guy who was the, quote, commander in charge, has suddenly not returned calls from state police for the last two days. And the word is he is, quote, refusing to cooperate. How dare he? I want to hear your thoughts tonight on this, because to me, that is disgusting. First of all, he clearly made the wrong call at the scene of the Texas school shooting. What he did was shameful. He made some very bad calls and the Texas state officials came right out and said they were wrong calls. They were absolutely wrong calls. I've never seen um, where an agency so quickly has come out and said that someone else made a very, very wrong call. So almost immediately they came out and said that was the bad decision by the, quote, commander on the ground and the commander on the ground everybody knows, was this guy Pete Arredondo. So he was accessible for the first day or two until they started saying that he made the calls because he was the commander. And now suddenly he's unavailable. How dare you, Pete Arredondo? How dare you do that to the families? That, to me, is the most shameful thing. Now he's, what, trying to lawyer up or do something like that? You better tell the families everything that you decided, what you didn't decide, why you made the decision. Was there a reason why you suddenly said he was a barricaded shooter when now we know that there were still shots being fired and law enforcement was right outside the door? And you were telling basically everybody, according to multiple reports, stand down and now you're not man enough to talk to state investigators how dare you i want to hear from you tonight because i want to hear if you're as outraged and disgusted with this local law enforcement officer i am such a huge supporter of our men and women in blue you guys know that we do a big segment every night on this show called back the blue it's my favorite segment i love it and law enforcement There are superstars out there every day who put their lives in danger. And this guy is a disgrace to the profession. This guy is a shame to the profession. How dare he suddenly, like, hide and bob and weave? He's not available. He couldn't wait to be in front of the cameras right afterwards. And then when suddenly it got revealed that he was the commander, he's not available. That, to me, is shameful. 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222, 1-800-848-9222. And listen, there's a lot of things that went wrong in tonight. We're getting new details as to a lot of the stories that keep changing. You can't get a straight answer. And maybe part of the reason is this guy Pete Arredondo wants to answer questions and is not letting other people within the school district under him answer questions as well. How dare you, Pete Arredondo? There are 19 children who died in that school. There are two teachers, and there are still five people, by the way, who are clinging to life in hospitals as we speak. Pete Arredondo, you need to talk, and you need to tell everything you know so this never, ever happens again. You made the wrong call. Now you better at least be man enough to talk to investigators because we're finding out... That remember that story that the teacher left the door open and that's how the shooter came in? Well, we're just finding out in the last few hours that that story is not true either. Uh, My goodness, I have never covered a crime scene where they can't get the story straight. You have surveillance video. You'd be able to see what happened. They clearly, I think, said definitively the teacher left the door open. She left it ajar to leave to get a cell phone. Then she came back and still left it propped open. We know that for a fact. That's what they said. On a surveillance video or anywhere, you would find out it's something else. And apparently, guess what? A local TV station got access to some surveillance footage. And what a surprise. It shows the door closed. But as it turns out, The door did not lock automatically like it was supposed to. So two things are wrong here. First off, why can't you get your story straight? Why does it take a news crew to have to reveal a very important fact, like how did the guy get into the school? And why did you first say there was a resource officer at the scene when there wasn't? Why are we getting so many mixed messages? And why is Pete Arredondo hiding, uh, cowering, and, and acting like a two year old, you better, if you, you made the decision, if you were the commander on the scene, how dare you? You must speak to investigators. That is an outrage. 1 800 848 9222, 1 800 848 9222. Here's a comment from Texas Senator Roland Gutierrez who says that there were many mistakes made by this guy and many others take a
2: listen look i think everybody failed here i think that particular person failed i think the next level agency that had more more firepower failed and the one beyond that that had more manpower and fire and 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 ammunition failed and equipment uh it wasn't until somebody at the federal government level a cvp finally said the hell with this we're going in right that should have been done 40 minutes earlier we have one child that had that died from one bullet wound in the back of her, in her inner back, through her kidneys. She likely bled out. She might have been saved. Did you just hear
1: that? One child had a bullet wound through her back, basically through her kidneys. She likely bled out, and EMS says she could have been saved if law enforcement had gotten there on the scene. That's why this is so important to know exactly what happened. And nobody in law enforcement, nobody in the school, nobody should be able to get a free pass because those families deserve answers. This is outrageous. Here's a little bit more from Roland Gutierrez, who, by the way, is now saying, I need a full accounting. I need to know what's going on. So he's asking the State Department give me a full accounting, and he's hoping to get that this Friday. Except Pete Arredondo is not available. Take a listen.
2: What I need to know is which agency officers were there, when they arrived, what's where were they stationed, or where did they station themselves? We have the technology, and we know exactly. We can verify those in for that information. So we want to, I want to be able to see that as fast as I can.
1: And we are hearing now from some of the teachers who were able to escape inside, also who helped students. One of them, this is a gut-wrenching clip with a teacher, Nicole Ogburn, um, and she was on the Today Show this morning. Take a listen to her describing what she saw.
3: I just kept hearing, boom, boom, boom. It just kept going off, and what felt, it felt like an eternity that this was going on. Wow. Can
1: you imagine being inside? And she said she tried to do what she could to help her students. Here's a little more. I've
3: gotten text messages from parents telling me that I'm their hero. And I'm not a hero in any way. But I do love those kids very much.
1: Uh, It is gut-wrenching to hear that. And for that reason, the teachers and the students and the families, they deserve answers. Why can't we get a coherent story? Why does it take a police, you know, uh, dodging and weaving, one day saying there was a resource officer, next day there wasn't. Then they said the teacher propped the door open. She left it propped open. You can see that. Then suddenly, guess what? A TV crew gets the video And sure enough, the door is closed, and it turns out it didn't automatically lock like it was supposed to. Obviously, the teachers and others should be checking to make sure the door was automatically locked when it went behind them. But why were you throwing the teacher under the bus? What is going on here? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Phil on line one. Phil, this to me is one of the most confusing and most, uh, I just think, disingenuous investigations I've ever seen.
4: Well, this is—I think this is a big black mark on that on that police department and other other agencies because they were totally totally out of it when when they responded to this situation. The whole the whole thing boils down to the fact that nineteen li- uh, lives of children and two adults, I believe, were killed. And what what is? unacceptable is the fact that they refuse to cooperate you know what's going to happen the bottom line of this whole thing is very simple there the the whole county is going to get sued the parents are going to get five or ten million dollars each and that's the end of it they just want to sh- like they did with george floyd's family they give him 27 million shut him up you don't hear a peep out of them same thing they think the parents are going to be quiet well if these parents were smart they would form a very large national group and try to get this, because let me tell you, you've got tens of thousands of schools and you've got hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of school age kids in that in that age category, and they are right now in danger. And if the school wants to, to cry and scream about, well, we don't have $250 a week to have a part-time on guard while the kids are in school, play that too damn bad.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, Phil. I 1000 percent. And that's why it's important. We know what happened. First off, to learn the lessons. And like you said, harden schools. Um, By the way, did you hear today, Phil, that President Biden does not want to, quote, harden schools? He wants to go after guns, but he doesn't want to do anything to, quote, basically fortify schools or protect schools. That to me is outrageous, Phil.
4: Well, the, the whole bottom line is, as a vet and, and an experienced uh, gun user, I could tell you right now that, that it's not the gun. The gun is not the issue here. The shooter, the person's index figure, the trigger finger, is the one that kills people. It's connected to a human being. And and the bottom line is, if you have someone, you have to, you have, to have someone in the gun shops who's credible and, and understands that there are certain people that at, at face value, you cannot hand them a, a a sales ticket and say, well, come back in three days, pick up your gun, even with a check, because you, you look at this, this guy had black eyeliner on. He's wearing black all the time. I mean, doesn't that send a signal to someone, especially someone who's going to buy a gun in a store? I mean, let's get real, man. You got to have discretion. You got to be like, look, police have discretion. Police officers have discretion, if you understand what discretion is. The point is, you have to have people in the gun shops held very highly accountable and have, to have them in, undertake discretion of who's, who they're going to sell the gun to. If they see a freak coming in there, someone who's acting up, carrying on, why do you sell them a gun? you want to make a $300 profit? That's not the way to go.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And the other thing, and this is a whole other issue, and, Phil, I know you understand this, is – if somebody has this the issue, just like you said, if somebody came in and looked like this guy, he was also self-mutilating himself. Um, so, you know, I don't know if he had visible scars or whatever, but he had a lot of mental issues, clearly. First off, the family should have sent a message far and wide about that. There are reports that he had things in his past to um, and made threats in the past. We know that he made threats to his coworkers. We know he made threats at the school. I mean, there are so many things here that you just kind of go, why wasn't there a big old flag? If it wasn't visible to the gun seller, you know, why wasn't there a big old blaring flag saying, um, you know, this one's a question mark, you know, big old question mark. I, I mean, it, it is just it's stunning, Phil. There are so many issues here. Um, thank you very much for the call. And, Phil, thank you very much for your service, too. I know you mentioned you're a veteran. and I always love your call. Thank you so much. When we come back. What do you think of the fact that now the Uvalde police chief, he's basically the Uvalde school district chief. His name is Pete Arredondo, And he's not available for a follow-up interview with investigators. Because guess what? The first one didn't go too well. Because he was the commander on the scene, according to everybody's reports. That was the one who made the call to basically stand down That it's a barricaded suspect. Meanwhile, 911 calls are coming in from students and teachers saying, please help, please help. I'm in a room full of victims. Please help, please help. What more do you need? And gunshots were apparently going off in the background. And there are officers right outside. And finally, Customs and Border Patrol said, to heck with this guy. We're going in. And they did. And they took the kill shot. They got rid of the gunman. But where is this guy? And what gives him the right to dodge and weave investigators right now? How dare he? 1-800-848-9222.
0: It's the Rita Cosby Show.
1: Vivaldi School District Police Chief Pete Arredondo. He is MIA and not available, not cooperating with state investigators. How dare he? He was the commander on the scene in one of the worst mass shootings in American history, and the one who everybody says made the call to decide what to do, whether to storm or not to storm. There shouldn't have been even a question. It should have been storm a thousand percent. You have kids in there. You have teachers in there. And he was saying, stand back, according to multiple reports. And he was chatty for the first day when everybody was saying how sad everybody was. And then when they suddenly said, wait a minute, it was almost an hour that police didn't storm. Now he's suddenly unavailable to state investigators. How dare you do that to the families? 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Jeannie on line eight. Go ahead, Jeannie. Your thoughts about where do you think this guy is, Jeannie?
5: Hi, Rita. It sounds to me like this gentleman might be lawyered up. Yeah, that that was my thought, too. Yeah, under the advice of an attorney, he's just protecting himself by not saying anything. And I just have a question for you um, because I really don't know the answer to this. But was there windows in the classroom? I don't know. Do you know the answer to that? I don't
1: know if in that particular classroom. Um, That's why I know in some of them there were because some of the kids got out of other classrooms through windows. But I don't know in that particular one because it was two adjoining classrooms and sort of like a like a bathroom area in between. And that's where um, he was kind of going between those two classrooms. And it was because the door was open to that classroom, the first one. And then he went to the adjacent one. I don't know in the two where he was firing. I assume not. Um, but I, I wondered that myself too, Jeannie. And and to answer your question about the attorney, I thought the same thing too, Jeannie. That I'm sure an attorney is saying it, or he's saying to an attorney, "Look, I'm in deep trouble. I'm the one who made the call to say stand back." And even the Texas DPS has come out now. I mean, this is extraordinary, Jeannie. I've covered you know crime cases, unfortunately, as a reporter for decades. I have never seen where law enforcement so quickly came out. And this was the Steve McCraw guy last week. I think it was on Friday when he came out in the press conference and said it was this guy was the commander and the decisions were wrong. They were clearly wrong. Because if you look at the textbook of how you handle an active shooter, an active shooter is basically always an active shooter. You know, and after Columbine, where they made a similar mistake, they said across the country, never again. And anybody worth their grain of salt knows that. And, and the amazing thing about this guy, Jeannie, this guy, we're learning, this Peter Arredondo guy, had all this training. He went through active shooter training multiple times over the last few years. Specifically, like in his training schedule, it shows he did this, he did this, he did this. So he knows what to do. He's in, you know, everybody knows what to do across the country. There's not really basically a single law enforcement who said the guy did the right thing, and, and yet this guy was available right away i'd see his face I remember seeing it all over the place right after the shooting happened and you know what there's a time where when an attorney it's appropriate to say don't talk and I understand he's protecting himself, but the families deserve to know and he he deserves to he should talk i don 't care what his attorneys are saying. He, he needs to come forward with the information immediately, maybe with an attorney, whatever the case is. But to sit and duck and weave, the families deserve better. Don't you think, Jeannie?
5: Oh, absolutely, 100%. And one, just one more point is that we are such a broken society. You know, like, why would somebody, we really need to think about and figure out why somebody would want to do what this young man did
1: thousand percent by the way Jeannie, you you are absolutely right there are so many issues here we need to figure out what's in his background what causes why are we seeing more of them um you know what were the red flags that we're learning about in his background that were missed um so it doesn't happen again and we also need peter ardondo to say why did he make this call so law enforcement never does this again so many questions we're going to continue more after the break
0: Rita Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Back the Blue.
1: And in tonight's Back the Blue segment, where we honor our great men and women in uniform, a powerful story coming out of Tuscaloosa, Alabama where a police officer for the University of Alabama has been recognized for going above and beyond the call of duty in a very dramatic way. It's tied to an incident that happened back in May. Officer Albert Conzineri never gave it a second thought about what he needed to do, and he saved a woman's life. He said he just happened to be in the area. The University of Alabama police officer heard the call and responded within a moment's notice I happened to make contact with her, and she admitted to being tired of things. The female in distress was entertaining thoughts of suicide and jumped over the fence into a river in total darkness. So at that point, the officer said, I followed her over the rail, and I took my patrol vest off, my belt, I took my boots off, and I was able to get into the water, and I pulled her back into the bank. The woman indeed survived, and the University of Alabama later awarded this officer the Chief of Police Medal of Honor and gave him a nice plaque as well. He said, however, I am no hero, he said, any police officer would have done it. It just happened to be my turn, and I was in the area. What a great, great story about the terrific job our men and women in blue do every single day. And... Always, officers have a very dangerous job. They never know what they're going to encounter, what situations they're going to be thrust upon, happen to be in the area of a situation. And that's why we always back our men and women in blue. I am, however, talking tonight about the mixed messages that are coming all over the place now with the Texas school shooting. Uvalde officials are saying that, guess what? This guy is MIA. This is really scary. This is the Uvalde commander. He is the chief of police, and he is, quote, no longer cooperating with state officials who are investigating the response because everybody wants to know, why did it take about an hour for law enforcement to finally storm and take out the shooter? Why, when there were 19 guys outside, apparently right outside the door, uh they had to wait a few minutes they had to wait 5 or 6 minutes apparently to get the shield which is understandable because the guy had an automatic weapon and you need to have a shield to protect yourself so they should have the proper equipment they have a SWAT team they finally got the shield 5 6 minutes later that's 5 6 minutes why didn't you go in then nobody understands why and everybody says the person who was making the decisions on the ground whether to stay back which is indeed what they say they were told Versus go in was this guy, Pete Arredondo, And in fact, there are reports, according to the Texas state senator, Roland Gutierrez. He was saying earlier today that he's not sure that at any point that the commander said to Storm. That basically CBP, the Border Patrol, basically said to heck with this. You're getting 911 calls from kids who are in there and teachers that are in there that are pleading for help. We're going in. I don't care what you say, you know? So it doesn't even sound like the guy at any point said go in. And that is absolutely wrong. Whenever there's an active shooter, you have to run towards the shooter. You got to take out the target. Anybody knows that. That is policing 101 after Columbine. And now this Peter Adondo, who is the commander on the ground, is suddenly, quote, not cooperating. And I agree with the Jeannie, who had called before, who said that she thinks he's probably lawyered up. Shame on you, Pete Arredondo. Guess what? Those family members don't have the luxury of lawyering up. They don't have their kids anymore. You deserve to tell them why you made the bad decisions. Was it based on some fact? Is there something that we just don't know? Is there information out there that maybe hasn't come out yet? Or did you just make really, really bad decisions and now you just don't want to face it? That, to me, is shameful. Either way, you need to cooperate. He's a member of the community. He's been in the community. He's had uh, active shooter training. He went through, like, 18 hours one day in, like, intense active duty, you know, active shooting training. Then he went through another day. Then he went through another one. Apparently one in the last year. All of these since Columbine, where the where the you know plan has changed. After Columbine, they said go in directly. You cannot wait. Everybody knows that it's common sense because sadly these guys keep shooting or children die. They bleed out. I mean they're suffering there with their wounds. They're supposed to sit there. You cannot wait. You got to go in and take them out. That is a tough job for a law enforcement guy when you got an active shooter. You want to have the best protection you can, but you got to go in. And why did this commander, now that we're hearing more and more information, why did he not do it? Case in point, as a total contrast, listen to the story of Jacob Alborado. Jacob Alborado Jacob was a Border Patrol agent who was off duty, and he was at a local barber shop. And he found out that his wife um, and also his child were at the school. So what does he do? He says to the barber, hey, is that your gun over there? Can I get your gun? He's about to get his getting a haircut. He's a time off. You know, you know, he wasn't on duty that day. Bar- borrows the barber's gun and goes to the school himself. Take a listen.
6: My barber actually heard shots so he thought he heard shots. He was coming to the parking lot, and he asked me if I heard it. I told him, so I didn't hear anything. I went, went inside the barbershop, sat down, and then I can't recall if he received the text first or if I received it, that there's an active shooter. There's an active shooter. Help, I love you, for my wife.
1: Wow. Can you imagine from his wife who's at the school, there's an active shooter? And then listen to what he did. What did you see and hear when you arrived?
6: Um, chaos, Uh, chaos. Everyone was trying to get to the school. People were trying to get everything situated. I was just trying to get towards my wife's room and my daughter's room.
1: Can you imagine? He's an off-duty Border Patrol agent, and he borrows the barber's gun, according to reports, and then goes into the school to get his wife and child.
3: And here's a little bit more of what he saw. You know, obviously, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of scrutiny now with those actions and whether they should have gotten in. Did you ever have any occasion to interact with
6: them at all? Um, At one point, at one point, I went, I was there at the door fixing to go in. But once again, I didn't have any of my gear. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't have been a smart move for me. All those guys had their gear and stuff. So
1: he was ready to go in and charge. And then he gets them out, according to multiple reports, gets them out and gets them to safety and then couple that with pete arredondo who's the commander on the scene who is mia 1-800-848-9222 let's go to charles on line eight charles your thoughts about this pete arredondo guy who doesn't have the guts to talk to investigators hey charles yes yeah charles what do you think of this guy
6: I just think he's a coward. I think that's the reason he didn't go in in the first place. This guy's scared to his bones, and it just, he didn't go in the first place. And then he was all proud that uh, it's done. He went in front of the cameras, and then suddenly his name came out that he might be in charge. He just dug himself back into his hole.
1: Yeah, but shame on him, don't you think? I I actually think he's a coward now that he's coming forward or hiding behind, whether it's legal advice or, or he's too scared to come publicly or whatever the reason is. These families deserve, and maybe there's information that we don't know. Maybe there's something, but uh, I tend to agree with you, and I think it is absolutely shameful. How dare you not cooperate, you know, with law enforcement at this point when there's so many lives that were lost, so many mistakes were made. And to me, uh, for a guy who had any sort of training, and apparently he had quite a bit of training, but then he panicked at the moment, and he clearly made some absolutely despicable wrong calls. Um Charles, thank you very very much. Um let's go to Joe, line 5. Joe, your thoughts about this. Hi, am I on now? Yep, Joe? you you are on, Joe. Go ahead.
2: Well, I, I don't I don't want to rush to judgment on uh, until all the facts come in and I think the guys he, he may be a coward people want to call him the coward but he sh- he sure hasn't enough knowledge not to uh, dig himself into any deeper if he did do something wrong, and from what all the reports I've heard, this is all they've been talking about since this happened, I don't know that those police knew anybody was dead. There was nobody shot outside the building. The only one shot was the was the grandmother, and she's not
5: dead.
1: Oh no, Joe. Joe. They, well, they knew for a fact that there were quote victims and that there were still some alive inside. We've even heard that from the audio recording of one of the students who was calling in repeatedly calling 911 there were two students who were calling in and they were saying there's still some alive there's still some there's some that are shot there's still some that are alive so guess what that means some are dead that means yep. some are shot and if you're shot you got to not be in good shape so but but what I do agree with you Joe is that there was clearly a lot of confusion but they absolutely knew That they had shot people. And in fact, if you listen to what they were saying early on, they believed everybody was dead in the class. That was part of the reason that they didn't actually go in. They didn't think there were, quote, any survivors. And then it came out on the 911 call that there were survivors. I I mean, to me, it's like you can't have it both ways. I'm not saying you, but police. It It is shameful. You cannot take a risk when you've got kids in there. Are you kidding me? and they still had students in there and then they were calling 911 pleading begging help i i mean this this to me is is malfeasance uh times 1000 um but joe thank you very much let's go to susan on line 3 susan your thoughts
5: hi yes i'm i've been kind of um focusing on the situation with the door being propped open which i i heard today that it was like simultaneously. Now he had shot up a funeral home very close to the school. And then they said that the school, um, you know, security guard that uh, had driven by him in the parking lot. And I want to know who propped that door open. Now, I think you mentioned that it was then closed and it was supposed to lock. But if it didn't close completely, like if it was just tiny bit ajar, it wouldn't, you know, connect. I mean, I, I have doors like that. I've, I've been involved with doors like that where, you know, it will lock. But not totally. Right, but right, If it just stays open a bit, you can still push through. Who? propped that door open. It would simultaneously, with much of this um,
1: chaos. Yep. And by the way, Susan, I'm going to answer your questions on a couple things. Um, first off, on the door, uh, we were told early on that a teacher left it sort of propped open to go get a cell phone, then came back and left it propped open. Now we heard just a few hours ago, you are absolutely correct, which is a whole other like, now it's like they can't get their story straight. Here's another one. Now they're saying, and it's because... A TV station actually got access or saw some surveillance footage and it shows that the door closed. And then guess what? Lo and behold, law enforcement admitted, oh, actually, it did close. So the teacher didn't leave it propped open when she came back in because now there are reports. At first, they made it sound like the teacher was just kind of roaming around. Just, you know, it was sort of almost before the active shooter and not really any reports of any shooting in the area. Now, today we're hearing that the teacher heard that there was this alert, that there was a shooting by the school. First of all, you kind of don't really need to run. You shouldn't be running outside. That's obviously not the smartest thing to do. Uh, but she runs outside, apparently, to go get her cell phone to call 911 because she heard that there was some alert around the school or shots around the school because of that funeral home thing that you just talked about. So then she goes to get the cell phone she comes back in, closes the door, and thinks it's totally closed. That's They were forced to admit that. Now, why, do, why don't we know a basic fact like that? Why has that story changed? So, so then it turns out that it didn't do the automatic lock, just like you said. Don't you think a teacher who's worried about an active shooter should have checked the door? I, I mean, that's to me astounding that she knew enough to not have the door propped open, but wouldn't you pull the door to make sure it's locked? I think she assumed it was automatically closed, and it wasn't. And then the other thing, Susan, remember that you just brought up the resource. There's so many inconsistencies here. Um, The resource officer, first they said the officer had a shootout with the guy. Remember, like it was like Bonnie and Clyde in the parking lot. Turns out there wasn't even a guy in the lot, and he drove by him, like you said, because he probably didn't know he was a shooter at this point. And so he drove by him and wasn't even on the scene and had nothing to do with the shooter. So it's why? Why are we getting so many different stories on things that are really
5: basic facts, Susan? Yeah, and if he was the resource manager, he shouldn't be driving around outside. I had break or whatever he was doing. He needs to keep his butt inside and on of duty. And and alert every minute. And if he can't do that, then he's the wrong individual for the job.
1: Yeah, I agree. And this guy doesn't look like he was too secret either, you know? So, I mean, who knows? When the guy crashed, wouldn't you think? I think he came running back, but at that point the guy was already inside. So that was quite a bit of time. And now here's another thing, too, Susan, by the way. This is another thing you reminded me, Susan, that today they originally said that the shooter was outside for like 10 to 12 minutes, which is a long time. Now they're saying today that they believe he was outside for about five minutes. Either way, that's a long time. Five minutes is a long time. Exchanging has a car crash, exchanges gunfire with a funeral home right across the way. Gunfire in the area. Teacher runs out to get a phone, comes back, doesn't check the door. Um, Why wasn't the whole school in complete lockdown and every door checked at that moment? And why weren't there more police on the scene even quicker? And why didn't that resource officer, why wasn't he alerted to turn around right away? As soon as those shots were fired and you had an active shooter roaming for five minutes, that's a lifetime. There are so many mistakes here and there are so many inconsistencies. We're going to continue with your calls. Great questions, Susan. 1 800 848
0: 9222. This is the Rita Cosby Show.
1: And we are talking about the Uvalde school shooting, and it is outrageous how many different stories we are now hearing that are very different from the first few days. Sometimes, you know, things in the chaos of the moment, but it seems like almost every story that was told to the public, and most importantly, more than any of us, but to the families that deserve to know what happened to their loved ones, why their young child or their wives who were teachers in that school, why they died. They can't get a straight story. And now we're finding out the commander on the ground, this Pete Arundondo, is not cooperating with authorities. How dare he? So many people are critical at the response. And in fact, the Department of Justice has launched an investigation into the way this was handled. It's not a criminal investigation. Um, It's more to find out what went wrong to make sure that things do not happen ever like this again, not just at this school district, but anywhere across the country. Take a listen. This is Matt Bassett. He's the former assistant secretary of Homeland Security. And this is what he had to say about the way law enforcement conducted itself at Uvalde.
2: It was a very um, poor response uh, on, the, on the part of law enforcement. Uh, an active shooter, their main goal is to inflict as much damage in as short a period as possible. The fact that there was an hour elapsed before the suspect was engaged uh, is contrary to all of the tactical teachings that these officers receive. That was time when hemorrhage control could have been applied to the victims. And it is the job of the first person who shows up to be through that door to engage the subject, to eliminate the threat. And it appears in this case that clearly did not happen.
1: It clearly did not happen. And now we're hearing that this commander said, don't go in. It's a barricade situation, not an active shooter situation. Meanwhile, kids were calling 911, and there's proof that those were relayed to officials on the ground. Shame on him. one 800 let us go to Vincent on line 7. Vincent, your thoughts about this?
5: Hi, Rita. Great show. Uh, my concern was I think all these cops that were standing outside the school you know, they were all community cops. I can't understand why they would stand down knowing that these people are their neighbors and could be their families in there, could be their neighbors' kids in there. Why would they not, you know, barge in anyway and listen to somebody telling them to stand down? You know what, I mean, it, Vincent? It
1: concerns me. That- that's, that's a great point um, because you're right. They They know a lot of them. And, in fact, there was one of the guys who was an EMS guy. Sadly, when he got there to the scene, it was one of his children um, who had been killed. Um, so you're right. The, it's a small town. It's a small – it's seven square miles. Um, so everybody does know everybody. Um, I think – and again, we don't know. I'm just surmising. But from what we've heard so far, if you can believe any of these stories, because everything seems to be out of whack, um, it seems like this commander on the ground who had the authority told them "You'd stand down. Because it is a barricade situation. Let's try to figure it out. Let's get more equipment in. Let's get more of this. Let's get a strategy. Let's plan. Let's this. You don't have time to plan. When you got an active shooter, you don't have time to plan. And then there was also a report early on that he was worried that law enforcement may lose their lives. And, of course, that's a big concern. We don't want law enforcement to, to die. We don't want anybody to die. Um, but if they don't go in and charge, who's going to do it? And just like you said, ultimately what happened was... The Border Patrol guys finally said, to heck with this guy, we're going in. But maybe they were scared of the commander. Maybe the commander was ordering them and saying, I'm going to fire you if you go in. Who knows? I mean, we don't know what the discussion is because this guy won't cooperate. But that's a great point, Vincent. Bravo. That's a great, great point. Let's go to Mike. Line 8. Mike, your thoughts about this?
7: I don't read it yet. You know, there was no sense of urgency right from the beginning right to the end. What hit... all the guys, all the police officers knew the commander. They knew what was going on. They knew how he was going to handle it. They should have ran there with their underwear and freaking a gun and a handful of bullets and taken them out right then and there. They, I, I hold them all responsible. They should have broken the rules right from the beginning. They they stood outside. They probably all formed uh, like uh, like a committee, like uh, they had put on their uniforms in a certain way make sure their belt buckles were fitted, they had their uh, uh, all their equipment, uh, you know, uh, from A to Z, you know, all in, 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 in proper perspective and all this bull crap. I've seen it time and time again as a first responder, and it makes me want to throw up. All right. They should have went there with their freaking underwear. No shield, no nothing. They should have blew the freaking locker off with their handgun and went and got him.
1: I agree. By the way, Mike, I feel your passion, too. It's like, you know what? Sometimes you got to break protocol. They're hearing gunshots. The kids are calling 911. We're going to continue with your calls after the break, everybody.
0: Feisty, fearless, and fair and Emmy-winning journalists from the White House to War Zones, telling all sides of the story. This is the Rita Cosby Show. I know your name
7: is
1: And more heartbreak coming out of Uvalde. Today. Four services were held for children that were killed inside Robb Elementary School, including Fran Marie Garza. She was that little 10-year-old girl, remember, who was courageously calling 911 to help save her friends, and the shooter then killed her. You know, we've seen her face over and over again, and today she was laid to rest. And for those who endured the unimaginable and survived... Like teacher Nicole Ogburn, she says she thinks about that moment every single day, what happened inside that school and will for the rest of her
3: life. I can close my eyes and I see that image of him and that gun walking up to my school. And it haunts me, but at the same time, I have told myself I will not live in fear. And I want to do that and teach my own children that you can't live in fear. And now many
1: people in law enforcement around the country are reacting to what clearly were major mistakes made by law enforcement on the scene. And again, uh, latest news that this commander on the ground there somehow isn't able to cooperate with authorities. How dare he? This is the local Uvalde school police chief who is in charge of the school district who assumed command on the ground. And basically, according to multiple reports, never gave the order to go in and to breach and go into the classroom. Uh, It is outrageous. And now law enforcement around the country are condemning him for his lackluster efforts. Take a listen to Florida Sheriff Grady Judd. And this is a Polk County, Florida. Take a listen to how he describes the situation.
8: The door was apparently propped open or left open or unlocked. We we know that it took about one hour before there was a response. That's 59 minutes, 59 seconds too late. You know, at the end of the day, we know that shootings, these active shooters, are done between zero and five minutes. The police response is plus five minutes. We also know that active shooters don't get to change it to a barricade situation. When you go in shooting, Even though you pause, it doesn't mean there aren't injured children or people lying there. Once an active shooter, always an active shooter. Push in, save lives, neutralize the threat.
1: Once an active shooter, always an active shooter. Go in and charge. What the heck were you waiting for? And why was this commander so docile after he actually took a whole bunch of active duty training? The families deserve to know, is there something that people don't know at this point? Why are you suddenly unavailable? You couldn't wait, it seemed, to be in front of the cameras right after it happened. And now, when the questions are tough questions pointed at you, you're MIA. Shame on you. And Florida Sheriff Grady Judd said, guess what? If this happens in Florida... The guy's going to look like Swiss cheese. He's talking about the shooter. He said the shooter will look like Swiss cheese. Take a listen.
8: We train for that. We expect that. And I can tell you this. I want them to shoot them. Shoot them so much that you can read the local newspaper through them. Neutralize the threat.
1: Wow. This guy does not fool around. Don't you wish that he was the commander on the ground? Other than this guy, I want to play that again, if we could, uh, because that guy does not hold back. Let's play what he said one more time, because this is his comment again about how he would have handled an active shooter in a school in his county in Florida. Take a listen.
8: We train for that. We expect that. And I can tell you this. I want them to shoot them, shoot them so much that you can read the local newspaper through them, neutralize the threat. Wow.
1: He says that there is no mincing words with these kind of people. And you just heard what he said. Those minutes, that time is critical. You cannot hold back. And as we know, it looks like they held back for about an hour. What the heck were you doing that took an hour? That is a lifetime. That is a dangerous. Anybody knows that. And this local commander on the ground is now not cooperating. How do you read that? I read that that he is cowering in some corner. Shame on you. Those families didn't have that luxury. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. And if you didn't understand Grady Judd the first time, this is what he said at a press conference reiterating how he would handle an active shooter like this if it happened in
8: Florida. Now, if you have trouble understanding that, let me give it to you in Polk County vernacular. This is the last thing you'll see before we put a bullet through your head if you're trying to hurt our children. We're going to shoot you graveyard dead if you come onto a campus with a gun threatening our children or shooting at us.
1: Wow, that guy is hardcore. But guess what? That's the kind of commander you need on a scene when you've got some crazy madman like this guy. You need a commander who does not hesitate, who doesn't wait, and charges full steam ahead and shows no mercy. I mean, and no wait time. Anybody who is in law enforcement knows it. And I want to hear from you guys tonight, too, who've been in tough situations before. Do you like what Grady Judd said in the sense that you have to full throttle charge? And show no mercy because this guy showed no mercy to those kids in the school. Those kids in the school were helpless. They were unarmed. And any equipment that law enforcement had was 20 times better than any of the kids or the students or the teachers had in the school. They had nothing. And that resource officer who apparently there was some fable that he had a shootout was nowhere to be seen. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. one 848 9222 Do you think things would be different if this kind of a sheriff that you just heard, who is a take-no-prisoners sheriff, said, do not mess with kids in Florida schools. We will come for you. That's the message that every shooter in this country needs to understand, that there will be no gray. You can't have this, should we go in, should we not go in, should we do a red flag, should we not do a red flag? There cannot be any gray. We have to protect our kids in schools. one eight hundred eight 848 Let's go to Dave on line 7 from North Carolina. Go ahead, Dave.
2: Yes, uh, I'd like to offer some solutions. But first, I'd like to say that the big that this whole thing is caused a failure of our system and the American people in general.
1: How is um, that, Dave? Explain that. How's that?
2: Well, we've allowed a police department to overrule and uh, our, our justice system to allow immunity from police officers, giving them ability to not do things like this, as well as not being accountable.
9: Um
1: Wait, I, wait, Dave. Dave, hang on. I just want to understand you. I want everybody to understand you. Are you saying that police are afraid to kind of go in because they're afraid that people don't have their back, or you're saying that they're overzealous? Go, I'm trying to understand where you're coming from.
2: Police officers have no uh, justification or reason to save anybody in this in the American uh,
1: country. Why is that? Why is that? I I I disagree. I I do feel, by the way, that law enforcement is incredibly under attack, and I think what happened here on the ground, this commander on the ground, um, hopefully is more of an anomaly, because um, I know a lot of great police commanders on the you know in the ground the country personally, and every single one of them that I know has a set of cojones and would have gone in. There is no gray with the people that I know. And they're they're closer to a Grady judge than this guy who's whimpering in a corner somewhere right now. Um, and I but I also hear what you're saying. If if where you're going is that law enforcement doesn't get enough funding, they don't get enough support, uh, they get called into internal review. There's a lot of a lot of pressure on law enforcement that I think is completely unfair, and I think. We need to protect them. We need to support them. We need them to have the courage to go in with the right equipment, with the best equipment in the world. They need to have better equipment than the bad guys do. Um, But that's not a reason not to go in, especially when you have kids calling 911 at the time. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, I mean, uh,
2: we saw the same thing with Parkland. Uh, and unfortunately, this isn't just one event. Uh, it's, it's already happened multiple times, not only just for a school shooting, but shootings all over the United States. Um, so, but what I was saying is the court systems have ruled, including the Supreme Court, that they are not, they do not have to protect citizens. They have no legal obligations to protect the United, to, to protect citizens.
5: Dave,
1: Dave, I'm not sure. Dave, Dave, I got to ask you a question. I'm not sure what you're drinking tonight. But when you become a police officer, you say, I will protect and serve. Your first responsibility is to protect citizens. I don't know of a single officer in this country, as much as so many of them are disenchanted right now with the way that they are unfairly, I think, treated because I love our police officers. And I think 99.99% do a superb job. I will definitely not say this commander on the ground did a superb job. I think he's a shameful blank blank. Um, And I think what he did was abominable so far from what I've seen. I mean, I'm willing to hear if there's some other facts out there. Maybe there is because things are all over the place with this story. But he's clearly not cooperating. And there's a reason he's not cooperating. But – I don't know of a single officer in this country who doesn't feel emboldened to still go in and protect and serve. And I bet you as this story emerges, we're going to hear of other many officers who were so frustrated and so angry that they were told to stand down or or were given the wrong messages or the wrong this or the wrong this. We're going to hear a lot of that because they take the job because they love protecting and serving. They want to protect and serve. And and I don't know of a single officer that doesn't want to do that. But but anyway, I appreciate the call. I don't agree with it, any sense of the word. But anyway, let's go to Jimmy, line four. Go ahead, Jimmy.
9: Hi, Rita. God bless you for all you do. Thank um, you. And I just want to say, like, all the rhetoric, there's, it's tough to judge them now. Um, I think bureaucracy has held back the praise men. I think that ninety-nine percent of those gentlemen there wanted to go in there. They couldn't because of big government. Um, but it's time or 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 maybe remember- Jimmy,
1: Jimmy, it may be as simple and I agree with you by the way, that I'm sure ninety-nine percent did want to go in. Um what I what it could be as simple as a guy who made a really bad call, not even bureaucracy, but somebody above them who said, Uh uh-uh, uh, don't go in um, you know, um, you know, or someone who gets all the training in the world but then folds like a cheap suit when, when the action sadly happens in your district. You know, it seems like he got a lot of training. He got like one training that was like an 18-hour day on active shooting. I mean, it seems like he was pretty well prepared. Um, it also seemed like the school district was fairly well prepared on paper. If you look at their website and on paper, yet they didn't even check to make sure the door was automatically locked. Now we're finding, I mean, there's all these mistakes that are like security 101 and and this guy may be folded like a cheap suit when the pressure finally hit cuz no matter what training, you know, I don't know if anything can really prepare you for something as horrible as this, but that's when you need to go laser focused and say the most important thing is to save those kids and those teachers lives. That's the what what I need to do. And the answer is simple. Y'all go in. You go in. I mean, to me, this is like policing 101. And that guy now suddenly isn't cooperating with authorities. Jimmy, how do you make of the fact that now he's suddenly unavailable to talk to authorities? Shame on him, Jimmy.
9: That is proof positive he knows he did the wrong thing. It is, That's but but he shouldn't. Question. He
1: should not have the luxury to be able to hide and cower.
9: No, you know, not whatsoever. Out of his thing, the previous call of Michael, like I said, I would storm in there. But I said to you, call screener. As I did the other night, I just really want to reiterate that it's time, you know, the remembered families, these poor slain children, and that the communities please rally around them, families, do their laundry, cut their lawn, do the things that, that the community should do to support these poor people. They're numb right now, and they don't care about dishes in their sink. They don't even know what cutting the lawn is right now. If their community, they hear this, please, people, get around them, rally around them, people. And just give them love. Offer them everything you can do because that's what matters now. We can all jump up and down about what's going on, but what matters is take care of these poor families who are just in such pain right now. By the and way, Jimmy, the I- Jimmy,
1: beautifully said. Because absolutely, that is the priority to do whatever the community can and, and the country can um, to help them um, and do whatever gesture. By the way, I, I heard a story that an anonymous donor has paid for all of their funerals. Governor Abbott announced that an anonymous donor literally is paying for all of their funerals. Um, and there are other people who are talking about um, helping the family. There was a big GoFundMe that raised, I think it was over $2 million um, for one of the families. Um, things like that, to me, just are unbelievable. And you're right, anything, you know, whether it's just bringing over food or helping um, to do anything they can to help these families, that is the priority. One thousand percent. And they also deserve answers and they want answers because there's there's grief and there's a lot of anger there on the ground, too. And a lot. The fact that they can't get a straight answer is outrageous, is outrageous. Um, Jimmy, thank you. Beautiful call. one 800
0: This is the Rita Cosby Show.
1: And we are talking about the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas, where still tonight there are so many unanswered questions and conflicting reports. And this chief, Pedro Pete Arradondo, who is the commander on the ground, uh, is not cooperating, according to multiple reports with investigators who want to know why he made the call to stand down. And not tell them to charge. And Florida Sheriff Grady Judd said, there is no gray. When you have an active shooter, the only thing that will stop him is law enforcement. Take a listen.
8: The issue clearly is that you have to go directly to the shooter. Now, ideally, you have the programs and the systems in place When somebody sees something or hears something, they say something, and you find this active shooter long before he arrives on the campus. But once he does, you have to engage him immediately. MSNBC doesn't know so much about what they're talking about, but that's not unusual. If they did, they could create the training program and we'd never have another active shooter.
1: And he says the only thing that stops an active shooter is a good guy with a gun. And yet in this case, we're hearing that they waited an hour and now the commander on the ground doesn't seem to want to cooperate. Shame on him. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Al in Michigan. Line three. Go ahead, Al. Your thoughts.
10: Ah, Thanks, Rita. Yeah, my thoughts is it's totally unacceptable. I'm sickened. I'm a retired state trooper here in Michigan. And shortly after the Columbine massacre, the entire state of Michigan, with all municipal agencies, county and state, uh, developed what we called quad training. And the whole aspect of approaching a a school shooter was you enter immediately with with a quad, with a group of men, two officers point, an officer on each side, and an officer covering your rear. And you're going in there, clearing room by room, looking for this SOB. And when you see him, you shoot him just like the sheriff in Florida said. You feel like a guy like Swiss cheese. This isn't a barricaded gunman. This isn't something where you sit back and you wait, you try to negotiate. These people, these animals, are solely in that school for one reason, to kill as many kids and as many people as they can in the short amount of time. There's no negotiation. It's you enter immediately, you do your quad, you clear room by room until you find this SOB and you kill him. The sheriff is exactly right.
1: You know, Al, you bring up a great point about the um, the quad, like sort of going from and also different directions, too, because the one thing that police have is there's more of them than the one shooter. Even if he has a lot of firepower, um, you know, you go in, you distract him, um, you get him. And just like you said, you know, guys who have great training with some sniper training, you take him out. I, I mean, that, and that's what ultimately happened. It was a Bortak agent, one of the sophisticated guys from the Border Patrol, um, these this elite unit. Um, what do you make of the fact, real quick, Al, that this guy's cowering in a background and the guy is not coming forward now, not cooperating, apparently, with authorities? Real quick, Al.
10: Real quick, he's a gutless wonder. You know, he's a gutless wonder. It's so important that you have competent and uh, leaders because – Police is semi-military. It's a quasi-military organization. Michigan State Police, we acted on orders, and we followed orders, and we didn't hesitate.
1: Well, Al, bravo Al, to you. By the way, bravo, bravo, bravo. I, I 1,000% agree with you because the key is to protect our kids. When we come back, speaking of border, we're going to be talking with Jenny Tare from Daily Caller. She just came back from the border, and I'll also continue with your calls, everybody. You're listening to The Rita Cosby Show.
0: Cosby is on. The Rita Cosby Show presents Support Our Heroes.
1: And in tonight's Support Our Heroes segment, Florida's first all women honor flight set off today for Washington, D.C., where 100 veterans, more than 100, will be treated to a grand tour of the nation's capital. Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Heath Davenport, who spent 25 years in the Army, said the historic occasion serves as a reminder of how far we, as women of service, have advanced in society. He said, it's always cool when you get with other vets, but these are all female vets. And you've got some that say when they came in, women weren't exactly welcome with open arms. In fact, a number of them were asked, hey, was your husband in the military? And they would say, no, 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 it was me. During the honor flight to Washington, the 109 female vets will visit war memorials, monuments, and also attend several banquets in their honor. What a beautiful thing and a beautiful way to remind them and also to remind them also how far they have come. And a great, great tribute to our women in the military and also their families that went with them. Well, we are talking about the border now. And, of course, we know that a number of National Guard have been there at the border, protecting the border, because, boy, are things a mess. And our next guest knows it all too well because she just came back from spending some time at the border. She just got back a few days ago. And that is great investigative reporter with The Daily Caller, Jenny Ter. Uh Jenny, great to have you here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me.
1: You know, Jenny, you've done some great work there at the border. You just came back, and you had some really stunning observances that where they're coming from. First off, kind of tell us what you saw and where most of the migrants are coming from, and what are they saying about Title 42?
3: Yeah, so I was in the Yuma sector in Arizona, And this is an area that's seeing a lot more migrants coming from outside of Central American countries. And that's exactly what I observed there. It was kind of like finding a needle in a haystack, which is not usually the case when I've been down to the border during uh, my previous trips. So it was mostly migrants from South America, Eastern Europe, and South Asia. So when I went out, I would encounter migrants from anywhere from the Republic of Georgia. India, Colombia, Russia, Chechnya, Belarus, uh, only one group from Guatemala. So it was definitely a different um, kind of change we've seen in the border and an area that's especially overrun right now. When I was there, it was about 1,500 people a day. So this was last week. Um, And when you mentioned Title 42... Only a couple dozen of these migrants are getting returned to their home countries under Title 42 because of the allowance of them to claim fear. If they claim fear, they're allowed to stay. I actually talked to a lot of the migrants that I met um, still on my trip, and I've been following where they've been going um, I know that the sector is really overrun right now, and so we've kind of seen that um, as I have communicated with them about where they've been sent by Border Patrol and obviously observed when Border Patrol picked them up and how long they all waited, which spanned from hours to days.
1: Wow. So why are they – why are so many being released Um, uh, what's going on? Is it just that's the policy that's basically being told to them? And how frustrated are Border Patrol agents with the Biden administration policy at the border?
3: Yeah, Border Patrol agents tell me that this is not the job they signed up for. And they're extremely frustrated by what's happening. Basically, what they've been doing and what I observed down there is they are processing. That is their entire job right now. In fact, Areas that should be manned around the border are not manned. I barely saw any agents along the front lines. And I also barely saw, actually did not see agents manning checkpoints. So there are checkpoints when you drive in and out of the border sectors. Um, They're a few miles away from the actual border. And they're also ensuring that no illegal activity is exiting, no one's smuggling anything back and forth through those checkpoints. Those were completely unmanned, and that was both in the Yuma sector, which I went to, as well as the Tucson sector, which I ended my trip at.
1: That's really scary, you know, when you think about it. Um, One of the things, too, and I'm sure you saw this, um, that the head of sort of Border Patrol was just giving like a slice, and you saw this firsthand, Jenny, um, from the Rio Grande section. And he's saying a three-day recap. This is of Memorial Day weekend, you know, that just passed, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, said this is what happened, three-day recap, 131 pounds of fentanyl, which, as you know, that's a lot of, that's very deadly, uh, toxic uh, chemical, and 131 pounds of it, that's an enormous amount, 26 pounds of heroin, 13 pounds of meth, 22 water rescues, 10 sex offenders, three gang members, one fugitive wanted for murder, three agents assaulted. Uh, That's like, you know, that's like, uh, hey, that's just a typical weekend. I mean, that's frightening what's getting through. And these are the ones that they get. Imagine what they're not getting, Jenny, as you know.
3: Exactly. And that's something that, unfortunately, U.S. Customs and Border Protection has not been transparent about with the media, although today the Del Rio sector border patrol chief did release a number actually also from the weekend of gotaways, which was over 1,600. Um, So I'm not sure why they're choosing to release these numbers because it shows that there are issues with enforcement. Um, But again, they, they won't talk with the media about it. That's a big problem with uh, CBP right now. And uh, again, it's frustrating for the agents. There are some brave ones that will speak uh, with the media anonymously, and they're extremely frustrated. And the reason that they choose to speak is because that they believe that people should know about what's going on because it, they know it's going to affect their communities. Uh, you know, these migrants I talked to they're going all over the country. Many of them go to Florida. Many of them go to New York, New Jersey, California. And, um, you know, unfortunately, there's a very sad side of that story where many of them continue to pay off their debts in this country. And that affects the whole of this nation because there are so many different issues that come from that. And, you know, it could it's it, many of them relate to crime. Many of them come from that. So, for example, in Oklahoma, we see illegal marijuana grows that are being operated by Asian crime groups, uh, kind of like these Chinese cartels. I actually did see a group of men from China. Um, I couldn't really speak with them about what they were doing because they only spoke uh, Mandarin. But, you know, that was another thing. I was very curious about some of these groups that We're coming here for safety, had really no one here. Um, So it's something that people should know more about. And unfortunately, we're, we're not getting all the information we need, and we have to talk to some of these brave agents.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Those guys are doing just unbelievably heroic work in the middle of, like, unbelievably difficult circumstances. And, you know... They're outmanned. There's so much happening. What about with Title 42? What is the sense? Because we know the federal judge stepped in. You were just there at the southern border, uh, Jenny. Is there an expectation that it's going to be ultimately lifted soon? The judge stepped in with a temporary injunction. But then, unbelievably, the Biden administration came back and said, oh, no, we want to fight this. We want to have Title 42 lifted. In other words, we want to make it even easier and have, you know, what some people say is even three times more numbers coming through, which is just stunning based on what you already just saw there at the border. Can you imagine if the post-Title 42 numbers come through? It's going to be insane.
3: Right. That's actually why I planned to go down there at that time, because we thought that Title 42 was going to be lifted last Monday. And like you said, the court decided against that and issued a pause. Um, When I went down there, I honestly could tell you I forgot that Title 42 was in place just because of what I was seeing. And because of how many people were getting processed, the numbers we saw of people that have been allowed in versus how many have been sent back recently under Title 42. So just to give you an example, from May 21st, Uh, The Yuma sector saw around 1,200 migrants um, encountered. Uh, Only 23 of those were sent back. So I'm assuming that the numbers are similar because this has been ongoing for a few weeks where they're seeing so many of these countries, so many people from different nationalities, like I saw, come in, um, and many of the migrants I've talked to following their... uh, crossings their time in border patrol custody they're released to non-governmental organizations they've been released into the country they're working on getting flights to where they're trying to go
1: yeah and and listen I always say to people you know obviously they should be doing it legally I don't blame them for wanting to come to America it's the greatest country in the world um, but it has to be done in an organized fashion and a secure fashion for our American citizens and they have to be vetted. And it has to be processed. And, you know, the Remain in Mexico clearly isn't happening. And who knows what's going to happen with Title 42. Um, Thank you so much, Jenny. We really appreciate your help and your firsthand insights of what's going on in the border because we have to secure our country. And our southern border is pivotal. It has to be secure. And it clearly is not. And you've seen that firsthand. Thank you so much for joining us, Jenny. Thank you. Thank you. Great work. Um, Jenny S. Tare, Jenny S. T-A-E-R, by the way, on Twitter and social media, because you can get some great reports from the border from her. She has been there many, many, many times and our thanks to her. Let's continue with your calls, everybody. 1-800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Larry on Line 6. Larry, um, your thoughts. You just heard about the border, and we've also, of course, been talking about uvalde and the texas school shooting your thoughts
11: okay i'm going to talk about the texas school shooting um at the beginning you you said an interesting fact that might bear on the fact that this police chief has uh, decided to clam up uh and change his story several times um you said that it took about five or six minutes to get the shield uh, but then we heard from uh, the Florida police chief who said it's an always active sh- uh, shooting scene, meaning that – sh- and, and said that the shooting usually takes place between the first – in the first five minutes. So so this police chief, after he got the shield, he probably figured if there was shooting, if there was active shooting, the kids are probably all dead. So to save face, maybe I will change it to a barricaded – Uh, situation because he didn't have the guts to go in without the shield that's probably uh, obvious from the very beginning whether he had the guts to go in with the shield is speculative but i think he decided at that moment he's going to change it tactically in order to save face because he knew the kids were all dead he's not stupid he knew the kids were probably all dead when there's an active shooter in there although although
1: larry uh, the, the two things first off The shield, yeah, we're told from reports it took about five to six minutes to get the shield because the guy did have, you know, a high-power weapon. Um, Yet, that that time is critical. Some people would beg to say, you just got to go in. You can't even wait for the shield at that point because it is such a, a time crunch and so pivotal. That's one. Two, the other is they were getting 911 calls, Larry. That's why anything that he says right now to say that, oh, I thought they were dead, because I do think that that's what some of the initial reports were, that they were saying, he was saying it's a barricade situation. In other words, it's contained, and in the area that he was, we basically don't think they are alive. But yet it's in contrast to now what we know is a fact. We know that 911 calls were coming in from students and teachers in the classroom saying there are some that are alive still. That there are victims that are alive, including the ones who were calling, obviously. And we know that that was relayed to police because of the dispatch calls. We haven't even heard the 911 calls because those are going to be really hard to hear. And those will probably come out publicly. They always do. So when those calls come out, you're, you're going to have to brace yourself. I'm going to need like 20 boxes of Kleenexes to hear those young kids begging for help. But we know for a fact that dispatch was saying we have a child inside They're They're calling and they're victims inside that are still alive. And that's what was relayed to police. So he can't say that they weren't alive and shame on him. How dare he make the decision, you know, that that they're not alive? You know, I mean, don't go in. I mean, how does he know? He doesn't know. And second of all, we know that that's a lie right now. So go ahead, Larry
11: well clearly clearly you know this this particular police uh, contingent was not trained they were not ready enough to have the shield on hand right away then they would have no excuses but without the shield they could you know i mean even the even the border patrol uh, team that came ultimately and went in they use the stack method with a shield. So nobody wants to go in and t- nobody's going to take, wants to be the first one to take a bullet. I know all these police chiefs But, get, but guess what? That's,
1: but that's what they're hired to do, Larry. Because guess what? Somebody's got to go in. What are you going to, like, flip a, flip a coin and say who's going in? You don't have time. You have kids in there. You have unarmed kids and teachers. The most vulnerable among us are in there sitting ducks, Guess what? That's what they're paid to do. Then don't be a police officer. Then you're in the wrong profession. I'm not saying you. I don't even know if you're in law enforcement. But you should not be in law enforcement. I gave the analogy last night, Larry, that there's a house on fire. You know what? And you got people screaming for help in the house saying, save me, save me. What, are firefighters supposed to sit outside and say, you know what? I'm just going to let that house burn because, God, I could get a burn on me if I go inside. It's a dangerous job, but that's what you're paid to do. That's what you're paid to do. Larry, go ahead. I'll give you the last word.
11: Okay, okay, good. At some point, though, okay, uh, your point is well taken, but at some point, we have to turn around and point point the finger at society. These these maniacal Republicans, the 18-year-olds today are not the same ones that were brought up in the 30s, 40s, What does that have
1: to do with Republicans, Larry? Because this is not a political get... issue. Shame on you because... for bringing politics no, into it. No, Go ahead. No. Shame well, my, on you. How my, dare my, my,
11: you? My, you don't understand my point. My, Rita, are you there?
1: Yeah, I'm there. I'm trying to my, figure my, my, out. My, you're you're my, talking in no, circles. my point
11: is this. My point is very simple. I'm not bringing politics into it. I'm saying at some point, we have to present law enforcement with a different set of facts. We can't keep replaying, play it against Sam. No, you need to. Guess what? Guess what? Larry,
1: two things. Guess what? You do need to play it over again because we need to make sure this never happens again. The families deserve that and American school kids everywhere deserve that. That's one. You're the one who suddenly brought up Republicans out of the blue, which was the weirdest thing I've ever heard. The assault weapons. The
11: the, the crazy addiction to assault weapons. What
1: about the crazy addiction to crazy people? Listen, Larry, I think, by the way, I think actually right now both sides need to come together to come up with some comprehensive solution. I don't think this has to do – I think right now people need to put their politics and their egos aside and all these crazy things that have prevented them. And I think right now there needs to be something that's common sense. But it can't just be guns, 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 because what about the guy who pushed the person on the subway the other day? He didn't have a gun. What about the person who slashed someone the other day? They didn't have a gun. We need to figure out, we need to look at comprehensive issues. Yes, maybe there are some things in the gun arena that people, all sides can agree on. But you also have to look at mental health. For some reason, Democrats on this one trick talking point, and you're the one who brought up politics. We need to put politics aside and save our kids. I'll continue with your calls after the break, everybody. 1-800-848-9222.
0: It's the Rita Cosby Show.
1: So tonight, a lot of questions still on the Uvalde school shooting. The commander on the ground is, quote, suddenly unavailable and not cooperating with state investigators who want to know why they basically gave the order to stand down and wait over an hour to go into the school. Are you kidding me? I much more espouse Texas, uh, the Florida sheriff, Grady Judd. said you have to charge you have to assume an active shooter is always an active shooter and that is the training they get and that is the philosophy that they have he said that if this had happened in his district you would have been able to read a newspaper through the guy that there would have been no gray and he said he would have been quote graveyard dead that's according to the way he says that he trains his officers and he is disgusted with the fact that now this commander is not cooperating with state investigators. How dare you? The families there on the ground deserve answers. It is outrageous. Let's go to John on line six in Pennsylvania. Go ahead, John.
7: Yeah, I'm pretty disgusted on that last
10: call of bringing politics into it, too.
1: Yeah, shame on him. Reason, I mean, what a what ahead? a pathetic person to sit there and say, "Oh, it's his, <laughs> it's like his little talking points," but you know, he didn't even have the guts to engage, but I don't mind it. Right. I I enjoy hearing all different opinions because it shows how loony he is. So go ahead.
7: Well, the main reason you go in there as soon as possible is to divert the direction of fire.
1: 1000%. 1000% as opposed to and that's what I keep saying. And the I police. Heard, I haven't
10: heard anybody say that yet.
1: Well, the police have the advantage also to be a distraction. Exactly. They've got numbers. Exactly. They can come in all different directions at the guy. That mean instead of the kids. Absolutely, thousand percent, John, thousand percent. Thank you very much for the call. Great point. Um, let's go to JC in Pennsylvania as well. Go ahead, JC. Well,
7: I'm going to
10: take politics and police out of this. I said, it, I said it to you a couple of weeks ago about with the abortion. Children are the most targeted group of people on the planet if it comes to CRT, pedophilia, uh, child trafficking, uh, school shootings. It is a moral obligation as an adult to protect the children, save the children. It doesn't matter if you're a police or a regular person you go and save the children simple as that if i was if i was there i'm no hero i would do anything to try to get in there to try to save the children that's what we have to do save
5: the children
1: 1000% jc and the fact what do you make of the fact jc that this commander is now unavailable not cooperating by multiple reports with state investigators now that it's been revealed he's the guy who basically never told them to go in I'll give you 2 seconds real quick JC
10: arrest him for dereliction of duty and for uh not cooperating with an investigation
1: I agree. Throw the book at that guy. And by the way, a couple of people brought up the Parkland case. Remember, the commander on the ground there basically was removed very quickly. Same thing should happen to this guy. Shame on him and shame on anybody who didn't do the right thing.